Ah, here we go. This is Off the Dome with Matt G. Wow, do I love saying that. Hello, everyone listening on Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, thank you all for tuning to my last episode. Truly meant a lot. Completely improvised. You're listening to Off the Dome with Matt G. Uncut uncensored, and completely off the dome. Thank you for listening on a, on a very rainy Friday night. Very rainy. You know, it's just really boring, like, when you have nothing to do all day. You just sit around, watch movies. I don't know. That's basically all we do. And I really miss watching all kinds of sports, like the NBA right now. And I really am very, very excited about it, about about to about uh the nba resuming so let's get right into it uh the nba reseeding schedule just came out i um i the my second favorite team the la lakers had their schedule out and uh to be honest with you yes they are my second favorite team behind my first favorite team the chicago bulls um, I love the Lakers. You know, I am the minority of people in Chicago that truly thinks that LeBron is the greatest, not just basketball player ever, the greatest athlete ever. He truly is the best basketball player ever, and he is on a mission. Year 17, he's playing absolutely unbelievable. Uh, before the season stopped, I said this, he was going to be the league MVP, how he was playing, leading the league in triple doubles and assists at the age of 35, what he was able to do to Giannis and Kawhi Leonard in the same weekend. It's truly, truly, truly unprecedented. He is the greatest 35-year-old in NBA history, and now that he's given time with his body to like work out and get back in basketball shape, he's going to be back with a vengeance. He's on a mission for ring number four and banner number 17 for the Lakers. And I think this whole squad is going to be ready. Um, my one concern about them, though, is that because of this NBA bubble format, that some players are opting out of playing. Like for the Wizards, there's this uh, David Bertans guy. He's not going to want to play um, as well. And uh, for the Lakers, um, Avery Bradley is not uh, going to play, unfortunately. Um, this is due to the fact that he has a six-year-old son and he doesn't want to get him sick. Look, I, I respect the fact that he personally does not want to play. Um, if you don't want to play, then don't play for that reason. But I'm going to be honest here. Yes, it is a very big loss for the Lakers because you're losing one of the best on-ball defenders in the league right now, in the NBA, who can guard the best point guard on any team any given night, with the exception of maybe Russell Westbrook. Um, a guy that can hit any open three that's given to him, and he's played been very good uh, throughout his career and has had a great year with the Lakers. It's very unfortunate. And for the Lakers, as a Lakers fan, there's three ways to make up for these absences. Well, let me just say this. I, I don't mind the J.R. Smith um, signing. I think he will do a very good job. Uh, I think he, he'll bounce back from his uh, debacle with LeBron in the finals two years ago. But he's going to be... He hasn't played in like a year and a half, and he's going to be very, 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 very rusty. Um, and the thing is, the fact that he's been very rusty is that he's not going to mesh in as a starter, but I do think he's going to be a clutch veteran when the time comes. So for the Lakers, there's three options you could do with. Uh, number one, uh, this is an okay option. You start Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He's a great, he's a very underrated defender um, who can knock down threes, and I think he'll be very good at the point guard position if he's given the chance. He's not really much of a distributor. The more the pressure's going to be on LeBron to pass a lot and to control the offense. But, you know, I do think he'll be very good at defending and hitting threes. 
Um, but he will not be as great of a defender as Avery Bradley was, but I don't think it's a bad option. Option number two, you start Alex Caruso. This is why I think Alex Caruso would start, is that, first of all, I love him. <laughs> but other than LeBron, he's the other goat on the Lakers. <laughs> he's awesome. I mean, he could dunk. He, he he is so electric when he comes to the game. He hits big shots. He's a great defender. When him and LeBron are on the court together, they have the be- they're the best duo out there in terms of efficiency. Not as players, obviously. I'm not going to go that far. Um, but in terms of efficiency, they have one of the highest efficiency ratings in the league when playing together, LeBron and AC. And I think they will be very good starting-wise. And I think this is going to be a great time for the white Mamba, Alex Caruso, to definitely shine. Option number three. I don't really like this, to be honest with you, but I think... This is kind of what's going to happen, but I option three, you start Rajon Rondo. To be honest with you, throughout a lot of this year, Rajon Rondo has been pretty terrible and kind of bad at times. Um, he's had some good games. He played well against Boston. Um, he played the, like a, pre, a playoff Rondo. He hit six threes against the Phoenix Suns at one point this year. That's a career high in the game. But he's not consistent, and when him when he's on the bench when he's played this year, him and Kuzma are just not great this year, and I don't think he'll be that good as of a starter. But I, I am cautiously I'm cautiously optimistic that he could be a contributor to this team. Um I think he can I think he can provide good good guidance for the team, and I do think that he will provide um, a good spark if needed um, defensively sometimes, but I just don't know if he's that consistent. Um, and uh, that's what I was saying about Rondo. I don't think he's going to be that great uh, great during the, the playoffs. Um, so getting to the Lakers schedule, um, this is their new modified schedule that is going to happen. Um, starting off, this is going to be, oh, this is going to be a doozy. They don't, they play, uh, the teams that were invited to Orlando. That's, so for the East, that was nine teams. And for the West, that's 13 teams. Uh, the nine team, the nine team that was invited was the Wizards. And the 13 teams that were invited in the West were obviously the top eight. And then with the nine, you have the, uh, let's see, you have the Pelicans, you have the Blazers, you have the Kings, you have the Spurs, and you have the Suns. So the Lakers are going to play a lot of the top teams. So the teams that the Lakers are going to play, I'm going to pull it up right now. Let's see this. Sorry, give me a second. So the Lakers... Uh, their upcoming schedule, uh, they play the LA Clippers to start, um, against my least favorite team besides the Boston Celtics, uh, for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to go splurge on that right now, but let's just say I, I'm not the biggest, I do not like the Clippers at all. Um, and on, so they play the Clippers, the Lakers schedule, the Clippers, the defending champion Toronto Raptors, the Jazz. The Thunder, the Rockets, shout out Evan Annixter. That's going to be an automatic loss for Houston. Uh, The Pacers, the Nuggets, and the Sacramento Kings. Let's go through through each game. The Clippers. Um, As much as I despise the LA Clippers, as much as I despise... Kawhi Leonard and as much and Patrick Beverly and a lot of those guys as much as I have ripped on them for load managing I'm going to be honest with you the fact that Avery Bradley lost has been kind of huge and because of the fact that he was a big X factor during that game I um the last time these two teams played I would not be surprised if they didn't win this one, specifically because the Clippers are all going to be healthy and full strength. And I just think the loss of Avery Bradley and putting J.R. Smith into this mix and including Deion Waiters in the mix, I just don't think they could pull off against a very talented team in this regular season game. The playoffs, I do think that they're gonna. the Lakers are still going to win the playoffs. I have no doubt about the playoffs. But in the regular season game, I'm going to say Clippers. I'm going to say an L that one. 
Uh, the Toronto Raptors, the defending champions. Uh, last time these two teams played was a November regular season game, a Sunday night game. The Lakers lost that game. But I do think they will bounce back. And um, anytime that a team beats LeBron and Lakers, you know they're going to bounce back. I'm going to say a win on that one. Um, August 3rd, uh, Lakers versus Jazz. I'm going to say a win. The Lakers have had their Utah's number the whole year. They were 2-0 against them in the regular season. And I don't see them losing to them anytime soon. Um, August 5th against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Again, a definite win. Um, actually, I wouldn't say a definite win. The Thunder are pretty good. I mean, CP3, SGA, Shea Gildish-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, Stephen Adams, Gallinari, CP3. They're, they're good. They are very good. But the Lakers have had their number all year. When the Lakers sat out AD and and LeBron and Danny Green, they the Lakers still won behind 36 from Kuzma. I think the Lakers could beat the Thunder. Um, I'm going to say win for that one. <laughs> I'm going to shout out Evan Annixter. So bad on this one. August 6th against the Houston Rockets. Evan, I love you, but that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard anybody say. The Houston Rockets small ball could beat the L.A. Lakers. Really? Really? You seriously think that? You know, this ain't money ball. You know? You're, you, that whole analytical thing, it might work for the regular season at, at times, but eventually what's going to happen when you start missing threes? You're going to get out-rebounded every single game. You got out-rebounded by 30 to the New York Knicks, and you lost to them. I'm telling you. The Houston Rockets are going to not succeed when it matters most. And the Lakers did lose to them on a February 9th regular season game. But to be honest with you, that they, they didn't know what to expect because that was the Rockets' first game since the Capella trade. But I think they'll be more prepared. I think the Lakers are going to whip Houston's ass in this one. I'm going to say a win for that one. LA Lakers versus Pacers. Um... I'm going to say a win for that one. They didn't play without Anthony Davis the last time, and I think with AD back, they're, they're going to be unstoppable. I'm going to say the Lakers win that one. Uh, August 10th, LA Lakers versus Denver. Um, I'm going to say a win. I'm going to say a win in that one as well. Denver's tough. They're good. They're physical. But I do think the Lakers could hold off in the end. Uh, they're 2-1 and one against Nuggets this year, and their only loss was by 30, was by 25 because LeBron was not playing and AD got hurt at the end of the third quarter. And the last one is August 13th against the Sacramento Kings. I'm going to say a win in that too. I think the Kings are better than what most people think, but I think the Lakers could pull off a win in that one. So the best case scenario for the Lakers to the end, I would say they would go five and one. Best case five and one. Worst case four and two. Like I said, the, I think they will probably lose to the Clippers to start. Um, I would say the Raptors is a they could either could go both ways, win or loss. The Raptors are better than a lot of people think. Pascal Siakam is a star. Um, Kyle Lowry's had a very good year, and 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 Fred Van Fleet. They're good. They're a very good team. And Serge Ibaka, of course, Marcus Saul. They're a very good team. Moving on. Um, speaking of teams, uh, Ojibwa Alumni Hoops Weekend is is happening soon, July thirtieth to August second. Um, so there, speaking of teams, there are six teams with each consists of six players. Um, and I do think it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I do think the stars to look out for, for OJ alumni weekend, I would probably say the best ones were pro I can't, I don't have the power rankings or which people I would like to have on that are listed. Um, but I would say that the best hoopers I could think of, you have to start with Jack Gervey. The likes, uh, I would say Jesse Pollins is a great hooper. Blake Schwartz is a great hooper. Noah Deutsch is a great hooper. And Michael Levin, when healthy, is a very good hooper. Um, and I would say Wasserman, one of the greatest shooters out there. Really good hooper. 
um, Zirai, Zach Ryan, great hooper. I mean, a lot of a lot of these guys are great hoopers, and I do think it's going to come down to very interesting what's going to happen in the end. And I really last year it's going to be a similar BPS feel where there every game is going to be taken seriously. Uh, to the end, uh, you call your own fouls, like street ball. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but if I had to pick a money line right here, I would say I would bet Blake Schwartz minus, minus 350 to win. I mean, let's face it. Blake basically has won everything at camp so far. Um, literally everything. <laughs> uh, five-time collegiate champion. So, you know, he is, that's what I call the Kobe Bryant of camp. Five championships in the NBA for Kobe. Had an amazing star career. That's my Blake Schwartz comparison would be Kobe Bryant. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in this bubble we create. Uh, July 30th to August 2nd. And what I love about this whole alumni weekend thing is that... You got to bond. It's going to be a lot of bonding, too. It's, you're going to be with guys that you haven't seen in a long time. And because of this coronavirus quarantine, you're going to be together. You're going to bond together. You're going to hang together. You're going to drink together. You're going to smoke together. You're just going to be with each other in general. It's going to be so much fun to, to be with my best friends again in my favorite place. It truly was special. Um, being at BPS last year, it's a lot different than being at Ojibwa. Uh, it's not the same uh, in terms of that. But once you're there, man, being with everyone, that brotherhood connection is still very much there. And all my best friends, I will say this straight up, are from Ojibwa. Whether it's Blake, Michael, Was, Jackson, and more more importantly, Chief EA Annixter. Um, and t- people I was close with from Ojibwa, but... Not as close as we were before school, which were Sam and Mike, Sam Isaacson and Michael Levin. Um, when I, at Illinois, they were my best friends in school. And that increased our relationship even more. And I consider them to this day two of one of my closest, bestest friends up there with my already set best camp friends. Um, that's what Ojib was so great at, as bonding um, people together um, and for life. And it's so great. And to, for a fact, when you were a staff man and a camper, you could be five years older than the camper and still be best friends with him. That's how great of a relation. That's how great of a place Ojibwa is. And at BPS, you could be you could be twenty three years old and hang out with someone that's forty years old. Um, and and you know they you consider them one of your closest friends as well. That's the best part about Ojibwa. You can be close with anybody, no matter how much the age difference is between the two of you, which I truly do love, and I'm very excited to reconvene with a lot of people my age, as well as people older than me, two years older than me, five years older than me. It's going to be so exciting, and I'm very looking forward to it. Um, and it's and I'm really exci- looking forward to seeing everybody else. Um, in my spare time, what I've been doing really is just hanging out with a lot of uh, my friends. I had a good hang with um, Wasp, Blake, and Michael the other night at Blake's house, drinking some Spotted Cows, which is my favorite beer ever. I mean, who wouldn't it be its favorite beer ever? It's very smooth, very sweet. A little too sweet. It does hurt my head a bit, but but I do like it overall. Um, and I, I, it's really interesting. We talked a lot. When me, Blake, and Michael and Wasp, we were thinking this hypothetical thing of if I ever get married, I hope to get married someday to a beautiful woman. Um, I think about this. Me having a bachelor party would be the most fucking insane thing ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll be the most insane thing ever. What are you going to do? You're going to go to Vegas um, we thought about it, uh, me, Blake, Wa, Sam, Michael, Noah, Jackson, Evan, we all thought about it. I think Vegas would be a great option because who wouldn't want to have a bachelor party in Las Vegas? You know, it's crazy, man. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or The Hangover? 
You know you're going. The Las Vegas is, is a devil's advocate of a town. You know you're gonna be so plastered and so hammered that you're not gonna be knowing what you're doing the rest of the night. It's crazy. You may know you don't know how much money you're going to lose. You don't know um, which club you're going to. You don't know anything. Hell, you don't know if you're going to end up in Mike Tyson's house <laughs> with a tiger. <laughs> I mean, that that is so you it's unforget it's it's un unbelievable what you can do in Vegas and the stuff that can happen. It'll be crazy. And another good place besides Vegas, I would probably say this is a bit of an inside joke, but uh, the front. But I would probably go spend my time at Camp Ojibwa. On this, honestly, this is gonna sound might sound lame to other viewers, but truthfully, I would have a great bachelor party at Ojibwa. That's my favorite place on earth, really. It's Ojibwa, one hundred percent. That's who I am to this day's camp, and I'm very excited to get back there. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, as far as friends go, um, I would say my best camp friends are my best friends to this day. Now, people get on me about where would you rank your friends and all that. Well, I'm not going to do any rankings here. Um, I'd be close with anyone, really. I'd be close with any person from camp. Hell, I'm people with a lot of people from Illinois. Thank just to let you know, I loved every experience of Illinois. Don't get me wrong. A lot of my friends I made in Illinois, I will be friends with them throughout the rest of my life too. I will st- I still talk to them to this day. I hang with them. I chill with them. I smoke with them. I love Ojibwa. I-, I loved Illinois. Everything about it, and I'll be friends with them. But to be honest with you, always going to be Ojibwa. No place will ever be greater than Camp Ojibwa. Will ever, 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 ever be. Um... I don't, I'm not going to do a, a ranking, but I'd be close with anybody, but I'd say my, my best camp friends in no particular order, I would say, and don't be offended for those of you listening, um, this is not a ranking of who's higher up or whatnot. Um, I would say my best friends in no order. I would say, I would say Evan, I would say Wa- Josh Wasserman. I would say Blake, I would say Michael, I would say Sam Wiggleman Isaacson, I'd say Jackson, and I would say Noah Deutsch. And I would include Stephen Shore there as well. Stephen and I have an unconditional bond of Collegiate Week, and that's what we constantly, constantly talk about. And also what I just learned today is that Stephen Shore and I are somewhat related my great-grandfather and his great-grandfather were first cousins. <laughs> How fucking crazy is that? And also, shout-out to Jesse Pollins. We're somewhat related, too. Same thing. My great-grandfather and his great-grandfather were cousins. So we're related as well. How fucking crazy is that? Also, shout-out Jesse, considering he was... He won the BPS award and the Brian Piketty award, the first person in Ojibwa history to sweep those awards, which I do think is greater than a collegiate week title in some ways. Um, and I really, and he, and he was also my first two years in the week. He was my first, uh, he was my first rounder for two years in a row. My first two years, he was my first rounder. How crazy is that? I have a great bond with Jesse P. Jesse P is a great man, and I'm very looking forward to reconnecting with him and being with him at at the OJ Grouts coming up soon. Uh, speaking of opening of of soon, um, I I I really hope that our leader, Don, if you want to call it a leader, but he's not a leader. Donald J. Trump, I hope this motherfucker loses to Joe Biden in the election this year. You know, 
I don't mean to go Chris Cuomo on this podcast right now. But the fact that he truly kisses the thing, just posts tw- on Twitter of fake news and the fact that to slow the fucking testing down and to saying, oh, well, we should not, we should, I should make a rule that to not take down our statues or else it'll be 10 years in prison. This man does not give a single rat's ass about the American people. He only gives a fuck about himself. He thinks that they're flattening the curve. We should reopen the economy. He's doing that to make himself look good. Donald Trump, as words of what Stephen A. Smith says about Kwame Brown, is a bona fide scrub. I'm sorry. We need a leader that's compassionate and is educated on these things and knows how to handle this coronavirus, which is which is just spreading like wildfire. And this is affecting a lot of the huge states. When you look at Arizona, Texas, California, Florida, Louisiana, North Carolina, you look at all these places, Donald Trump literally just gives a, only cares about Twitter, only cares about posting what he likes, and he really just does not give a fuck about the people. He really doesn't. You know, he only gives a a fuck about himself. And that's honestly sad. It really is sad. And, you know, the fact that he wants to open up these things as soon as possible, that's not how it works. He's try. He, he just can't seem to do anything right. You know? And his vice president, if you want to call him that as well, who's just as... I wouldn't say just as bad, but he's pretty bad his own right. Mike Pence said that we're flattening the curve. Well, we U.S. has hit the most spike case. Excuse me, the most spike cases in a day. It's honestly pathetic that these men only give a crap about themselves and trying to get reelected, as opposed to caring about the American people. And the fact that that Donald Trump goes on a rant about saying stuff about like how he would not how he would not watch another NFL game if players kneel during a national anthem it shows ignorance. It he's cretin and he's a straight up fucking piece of shit. Donald Trump's not a president. He's just a guy that likes the title. A president's about unifying people, you know, like how a coach in the collegiate week unifies a team to accomplish a common goal. A leader in this should lead a country to accomplish a common goal, to flatten this curve and beat this virus, and to end all this violence and going on in the world. Trump does not care about to dive into these big issues. He only cares about himself. And that's sad. That's very sad. And what I was watching on CNN today of what he was saying, the kind of shit he was saying and what Pence was saying and how the CNN reporters, thank God for them, are sticking up against him. It's terrible that we have a president like this. It really is. On a lighter note, um... What something because things are starting to to open up a bit, um, in a very small capacity, movie theaters are starting to open up, and I've been on a movie binge lately. Um, like I said, I and the only pro and I'm excited when the movie theaters open up. I'm on a movie binge for Christopher Nolan's upcoming new movie Tenet. Um. And like I said before, Christopher Nolan is one of those directors that's so imaginative, that makes direct things so fun, exciting, they're big, and they're all really good films. I would say that they are, I wouldn't even call any of his movies bad at all. He's not made one bad movie. I would just say that there's some movies better than others. 
significantly, but none of his movies that he made were bad. Christopher Nolan is one of those directors that made me want to be, might consider me being in the film industry, considering of the fact that when I first saw Batman Begins, when I was back in June of 2005, when I was a little kid, when I saw this movie, I was saying, oh my God, this is going to be, going to be the greatest movies, going to, want to be, going to be one of my favorite movies ever. Until The Dark Knight topped that. And I, I love The Dark Knight. But the movie after that, movie after that, and the movie after that, when I start noticing what Christopher Nolan does outside of these Batman films, I say in my head, this truly is one of the greatest directors ever. I'm going to do a ranking of each of his movies he directed from least to best, from worst to best, even though there's not a worst film that he's made. Let's start off the list at number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Out of his ten films he made, let's start with number ten. Um, following. A very good uh, start of a film um, with a limited runtime. Um, a very, it's a very interesting debut feature film. Um, and I really did like what this film had to offer. Um, I thought that this whole plot about the young man, um, was trying to find inspiration for his first novel was very interesting. It was a little, because the fact it was very short, it wasn't enough character development, but overall I did find it very enjoyable. The next movie Coming in at number nine is The Dark Knight Rises. Now, while some people don't think it's that great and some people think it's too long and very anticlimactic, I can understand that. It does have some narrative flaws here and there. When I first saw it, I, I, I was taken away by the nostalgia of how great the first two Dark Knight films were that I just assumed this is going to be great. It, it still is very good. It has gotten a little bit worse since I've seen it. Um... Yes, the pacing is not as good as the other Dark Knight, as the other Batman films. And yes, the whole twist of Talia al Ghul, uh, or Miranda Tate, uh, being one of the main villains in the thing was very forced. And the way that she died and the way the, the whole thing ended was very anticlimactic for me. And I just, thought the whole story of rat of like the riches versus the poor was very interesting but wasn't really explored enough um and i just thought that the villain bane it's not tom hardy's performance i didn't like he was great he truly was great i just didn't really like um i just didn't really like the fact that his character how the way how it ended and how it all tied up together was just very anticlimactic and not as great written as the Joker was. Um, but I still enjoyed it overall. There's still a lot of good things about it. And I do think it is still a very good film more than most, more than any other film out there at that time. Coming in at number eight of Christopher Nolan movies, I would rank, I would say the next one is insomnia. With Al Pacino, Robin Williams, and Hilary Swank. Uh, a movie about uh, the killing in Alaska and solving a mystery about a mystery of the killing. I thought the movie from beginning to end was very riveting. Um, and I thought Robin Williams as Walter Finch, specifically amazing. He rest in peace to Robin Williams. Truly one of my favorite actors. Still very, very sad that he's dead. Um I I love Robin Williams. He was great in that. Al Pacino was, as usual, was awesome. And the whole twist that happens is very intriguing. Um, I I really do uh, like that aspect of how the intrigue of Christopher Nolan's films, how the twists and uh, the paradox style he makes. And I do really like that movie overall. Coming in at number seven is is 
The Prestige. One of the best twists I've seen. The fact that Christopher Nolan's character was a twin, which I did not expect. Because when he says to uh, Rebecca Hall's character, I don't love you today, I'm happy today. That was a great, smart, subtle hint as the fact that he has a twin. And the whole magic tricks and the whole planning of the magic, a very realistic take on magic is so great and so thought out. And it has drama, it has the mystery, and the whole light scene was just so visually arresting. That's what I loved about The Prestige. Truly did love the like The Prestige a lot. Very good movie. And a movie that should that should definitely be reviewed by a lot of by a lot of uh, be seen by a lot of film make majors and anybody that loves to study film. Coming in at number six on the Christopher Nolan list is Batman Begins. Um, Batman Begins, like I said, the first time I saw this movie, I was blown away by it. It was a very realistic take on Batman and Bruce Wayne. And at first when I saw the killing of his parents again, oh no, they're going to show the thing again. But it was done in such a real sad way this time because it at least gave you a little bit of time to really care about his parents and his and this character. And I really did appreciate that aspect. And the whole thing about him wanting to stick up to the mob and the Gotham crooks and the fact that he was training in the Alps with Raz al Ghul with the League of Shadows was so freaking interesting and so cool. And it was the whole glacier scene, the whole fight scene was what was one of the best things I've ever seen on IMAX screen. It truly was riveting to see. And when he when he brings up uh, Carmine Falcone up, and then when he brings him up from the from the car, you know, remember that scene? And he goes, "I'm Batman." That was that shit was so fucking cool. I was so riveted by that, and the whole thing with the scarecrow, which still scared me, like during whenever I see it, was really cool. Was really really frightening to watch. Really bleak imagery. Um, and Batman Begins was a great start and really launched a trend of origin story of superhero films and has inspired countless of movies um, with that sort of style. Coming in at number six, coming in at number, sorry, coming in at number five of the Christopher Nolan movies is Dunkirk. Why Dunkirk, you might ask? Well, Dunkirk was a very different war film. Usually in war films, you really set up these characters like with what they do like on the side and like what they are as characters and like what motivations they have. This is very different. Some people might get bored by this movie because it's like one singular shot, one action scene. But what I love, what I love, what this is, is that when you're in a war movie, when you're in a war, you don't have time to speak and time to really flesh out your character as much and say who you are. This is from the opening shot of this movie. You are just, you are in it. That's what I loved about Dunkirk. From beginning to end, I was straight up riveted, and that, and how their story and how the characterization. Is very simplistic. It's storytelling, is it? Now, I'm not going to. I I might can provide some minor spoilers for this, but there's a scene where, where you may where a character is shown in the daytime, then the next scene it's shown in night, and you're thinking, oh, that's very intriguing. That's very interesting. And the whole Norman, the whole beach scene and the whole like aerial dogfight and the whole every single thing was so interesting and so riveting and that you really it's about the battle. It's just about the battle. If you go into that this movie, watching this movie, thinking of it as strictly just the battle, you are going to be very 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 impressed by it. Coming in at number four 
a movie I just watched, a movie that to this day I am still consider that I do consider a masterpiece is Interstellar. When I first saw this movie, yes, it is very it does have flaws. Some of the dialogue's a little clunky at times, and yes, the ending was not as cathartic and wasn't as let's just say like very ambiguous as Inception was, which I'm gonna talk to talk with maybe the next film or the other one in my Christopher Nolan list. Not gonna spoil that. But what I truly loved about this movie, it explores great dimensions of time and space and the thing about love. And it was so in- touching. And the fact is, even though like it, it does have flaws, it makes me want to go back and re-examine the science of this movie. How it talks about like gravity. How, how Cooper says it's not ghost, it's gravity. And... All the and the black hole and gargantua and all the scenes in space and the thing that happens with with do, going up against Doctor Man, which was very cool and very interesting, and how he's trying to save the human race. It's very huge stuff, and people may think it's very cliched about the human spirit. And Matt Kine was 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 meant to be on was was uh, meant to be on Earth. Was born on Earth. It wasn't meant to die here. It may have seemed cliched, but it's true. It really is about the human spirit, and I really did love it. And that was, my opinion, Christopher Nolan's most personal film. And that's what I truly did love about this movie. And it really takes a great inspiration from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it was i made me really care about being a nerd of learning about science and the theory of relativity and all this it's so interesting stuff i loved interstellar even it's the most flawed masterpiece movie i've ever seen it does have flaws it is long the dialogue and some of the characterization story structure is not perfect but if you truly look at this movie from it, the, what their themes is and the performances of Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain and Hans Zimmer's score, this is his best score he's ever done. Noah Andre can back me up on this. This is Hans Zimmer's best score he's ever done in a movie. It's so beautiful. If you listen to the Interstellar soundtrack... And the Interstellar theme, Hans Zimmer's score is going to be mentioned as one of the greatest film scores, maybe the best film score of this decade. Coming in at number three on the Christopher Nolan list is Memento. Memento is one of those movies that fucks with you. A very interesting movie about how Guy Ritchie's character has a short-term memory loss approximately every 15 minutes and tries to search for the people who killed his wife it's 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 a par- it's very interesting it's interesting and it fucks with you in a lot of different ways and like his character guy pierce's character is the one we most connect with because i mean he doesn't remember what he's trying to remember things that happened in order and we look through it from his lens of like, this may not be in the exact order the film shows you it. And it's very, very interesting of how it plays out. And it, and it's very riveting from start to finish. And Christopher Nolan, the film structure of it is structured with two timelines. With the You see it in the film. It's in color and it's in black and white. And the color sequences are alternated with black and white sequences. The latter are put in chronological order. And it's very confusing. But when you look at it, for film buffs like me, you have to like re-examine this movie on every different lens. And the screenplay is so enticing to the fact that it's a crackerjack of different intricacies of this story. It's the story edges back and forth of Leonard's quest to get the mur- 
to get the murder of his wife while trying to remember a lot of his past, trying to remember why he got those tattoos, trying to remember a lot of different things of his life. It's so interesting. Really one of the greatest screenplays ever. It's very smart, really interesting. Um, it, it's, I, I, it's a great film buff. It's great for film analysts to truly examine over and over again. Coming in at number two on the Christopher Nolan list is Inception. As my favorite actor ever, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's not the main reason, but he was great in the movie. It deals with time. No, it deals with dreams. A dream in a dream in a dream. And I really did love this movie. In every single way, it's a chess game of what it is. You see it in one dream of... uh, Killian Murphy's character trying to mend something with his father. Um, you see that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to get home to his to his kids um, after like he was accused of murdering Marion Cotillard's character. You see a lot of different things about each of these characters' lives and how they're trying to to just to survive in this in this game of theirs, and it truly is very interesting. Of the fact that it's really just it trying to fuck with you in terms of dreams and reality and trying to access somebody's unconscious mind. And I truly did love the fact that we learned different about what the dreams are and what goes into your head. And it really is very riveting to me. And it's a fun heist movie. The action is great. The snow scene, amazing. The... The scene where Leo DiCaprio shows Ellen Page's character the buildings falling upside down. Really cool stuff. And the train scene is awesome. And every visual and everything in this story of reality and time and of the the conscious dream, it's amazing. I loved everything about Inception. It truly was one, probably a top five to ten movie of this decade on a lot of people's lists. And I really did love Inception in the end. Again, an amazing score by Hans Zimmer. I would say it's his second best score. Right up there with the Interstellar score. And I really did love Inception. Coming in at number one. It's get pretty obvious, but number one's The Dark Knight. Why The Dark Knight? Well, a lot of different reasons why The Dark Knight. The memorable dialogue in the movie where Harvey Dent says, You may die a hero. You may die. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And it's true. It really tests Batman's uh, moral compass. In every way. And that was so enticing. How he tries to do good. But Joker gives him all these tasks. Of him breaking his one rule. Um, And it was just so interesting to watch. In every way possible. Um, Heath Ledger's a Joker. God rest his soul. Is truly probably a top three performance of all time. The first time when I saw him. Where he says. I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Ta-da. It's gone and how he how he tries in the interrogation scene to this day is one of the best scenes ever put to film how batman interrogates joker and joker is not rattled by it is truly incredible absolutely incredible to watch and heath ledger i didn't recognize him in this movie i did not truly fantastic stuff i loved everything about the dark knight Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon was great. Maggie Gyllenhaal was great. Best move, one of the best movies I've ever seen. I can go on and on talking about The Dark Knight, but I'm going to save some time for the last couple minutes of this hour we have. Um, that's just my take on The Dark Knight. Um, some other good movies to watch. Um, another good movie that's going to be on Netflix, that's on Netflix right now, is The Five Bloods with Spike Lee. Um, I just saw it. 
It was truly amazing. Another great Spike Lee hit. Um, he truly, when he he truly knows like the how to tackle these big important racial issues of our times and how to tackle like a and how to express them in a very meaningful way. And it what he did with Black Klansman and the Five Bloods was truly great. Um, and uh, he's also made two very exciting movies Spike Lee has. He made He Got Game with Denzel, one of my favorite actors, and a great performance actually from Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttlesworth, which is now his nickname. He, he was great in that. That was a very interesting, enticing movie. And another good movie I watched today was Inside Man. Really great heist film. Noah Andre recommended this movie to me. Really great heist film. Clive Owen was fucking badass in this movie. And Denzel had another great performance. I really liked um, Inside Man. And I I liked every a lot of things that Spike Lee does. Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing. Um, she's Gotta Have It, the intro character of Mars Blackman, who appears in the Jordan commercials. Spike Lee's a very good director. I like Spike Lee a lot. Um, and that's why, who the directors I've been binging lately. I watched Spike Lee films leading up to the, the Five Bloods, and I watched Christopher Nolan movies leading up to Tenet. Um, coming up in our next hour, uh, come, just to, we have, uh, Special guest from one of my best friends, Chief EA, Evan Annixter, um, which I'm going to tell him to download the Anchor app. Um, he's going to be on it. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about Ojibwa, more of the NBA, uh, some NFL stuff coming up. Um, and we are going to be talking about our favorite memories from Ojibwa. That's coming up next on Off the Dome. Thanks for listening to this first hour. This hour, I, I don't have paid sponsors, but this first hour is sponsored by Little Louie's, um, which is which is just awesome. Shout out Pete Weiss. Uh, it's in Northbrook. They have great salads. They have great food there. They have great hot dogs, uh, beef. Um, very inventive menu there uh, in Northbrook. Um Another great sponsor, um, which I, which I love, um, is uh, Little Louis. I just found the uh, tagline: Little Louis, a part of growing up in Northbrook. Really interesting stuff. Um, please support. You can order for delivery of it on Uber Eats or DoorDash. Um, another great sponsor right now that I love uh, right now is. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know any other good sponsors out there. That's just the first thing I could think of. Just trying to support the local business. Um, so we got Evan coming up in the next hour. Thanks for listening to part one of the second episode of Off the Dome. And go get them.